Chapter 10, A Sexual Identity Crisis. As a historically heterosexual female questioning my sexual identity for quite possibly the first time, it also begs the question, how do I know that I'm actually heterosexual? I would gladly bring in sexual partners of any gender to a trusting relationship, so does this desire for exploring the bounds of physical pleasure make me wrong? Does it mean I'm inherently attracted to them, even if I have never given thought to how I view these potential additions in anything other than a sexual capacity? Plenty of other species of animals are polyamorous, so why do we assume humans must be? In ancient Roman mythology, men took up male sexual partners after marrying a woman. Why could I not do something similar? Why are all of the men I'm attracted to so sexually repressed that it borders on homophobia when I suggest trying something new? The fads of sexuality, at least those along the East Coast, and perpetuated as stereotypically white American, are tied heavily to heterosexual marriage norms, and thus legality. Yet, those social acceptances wax and wane with every revolution or isolated civilization in history. So who am I to judge what I believe in then without at least trying it once? And how have we not yet learned with the internet and freedom of information to be much more moderate of perspective in a country founded on freedom? This premise, though, is far more complicated when you introduce themes of an extensive history of both physical and sexual abuse into new interactions with men. It's extremely difficult to feel the security, companionship, and safety of a healthy relationship when my mind immediately categorizes every man into this filing cabinet of like, warning, warning, warning. <laughs> Every interaction with their species is now carefully reviewed, lest I make the same naive mistakes I made for years when I thought I was in love before. And not to mention the fact that, like, my body has been wired to believe that that is, like, the type of interaction I want as well. So every accidental touch in a bar, every seemingly innocent catcall, which are there any? I don't know. Every overlap of like a male's body so it invades my personal space, never appearing across my face as awareness, but it's being mentally noted. <laughs> to be fair, I'm pretty, pretty cynical towards most of humanity because the, like I said, the average U.S. citizen has approximately a third grade reading level, which can be a bit of a gap. So to be clear, I tend to hold suspicion for humanity in general, not just men, but we're focusing on men for the moment since that is the vast majority of my sexual history to date. Wanting to enter a consensual sexual relationship to be like choked out helps desensitize the horrific visuals of being slammed against a wall, threatened until you promise that you aren't lying about hanging out with another guy, by a kid who got a 980 on all three sections of his SAT. Meanwhile, I got a 1560 on just two sections. Yikes. Or how, because of your parents' incredibly fucked up familial dynamic, I previously associated love with suspicion and control and maniacal mood swings instead of loving someone who accompanies you through the mundane activities of what actually encompasses daily life and your really cool awesome adventures and now question 
even with recognizing that, whether I'll be able to healthily identify relationships moving forward. So what happens if your partner of choice finds out or guesses about your history, though, let alone a history you might not have come to terms with yourself? What happens when, at 27, you still aren't quite ready to combine, like, sexuality and compassion except through physical expression? You just don't know how. You're relearning as you go. And how can you explain that? How do you explain in adulthood that you're investigating childhood traumas tied to your sexuality at what point in your bumble conversation do you casually interject that the reality of your existence is crumbling around you and you're about to embark on a mission of sexual self-discovery so you would like the occasional use and objectification of the male body to make that a reality and offer a solid relief from your current array of silicone sex toys or how, despite being can- questionably candid, you can remain so emotionally unavailable to the receiver of that information. How do you explain answers that you don't and will never have? Nor do you particularly care to delve into it because you're just following your gut and know that you'll figure out the right opportunities along the way. Or that if you were a guy, you probably wouldn't have to worry about a lot of this. Your mind just like either wouldn't work that way or nobody would expect an explanation, which must be nice. <laughs> an awakening. Coming to grips with the idea that I don't actually need to define my sexuality, but if I had to choose, I'd probably most align with pansexual. And it can just exist as curiously as it occurs without que- further question is an even bigger victory than Dolores recognizing she was capable of tearing down and reconstructing the boundaries of her own existence to me. Although I exist in a country where prior to 2015, just five years ago, I would have had to make significant life decisions based around that definition. Factoring in my medical background, stigma towards the eroticism of the layers of specially differentiated cells separated into distinct layers of blood, muscle, and skin, cloaking my body peeled away. And what remains is a young woman learning how to appreciate herself for who she is, what that entails, and how she can influence the world. By physically cutting into the layers patient after patient within a surgical dermatology setting to watching the concept of a host's physical body being easily repaired and replaced on screen in Westworld to crossing my own mental barriers through psychoanalytic exploration of my thoughts caverns, occasionally with shrooms, <laughs> it became clear that there were simple biological explanations for my behaviors and desires but I was made to feel ostracized by normalcy out of concern for the taboo labeling, much of which still existed in the medical world that I was so desperate to continue forging a path in. Every male associate being assumed to be the superior by the patient when he is in the room with me, especially if he's white, Every global conference where some random man would take it upon himself to share with me and my friend Emily how everyone will doubt your intelligence because of your beauty. After hearing your questions on a particular research topic as if he were doing me a favor or like the irony and how he was doubting (laughs) the fact that I would have even already not known that. I've watched Legally Blonde. Thank you very much. (laughs) 
it became absurd that the most intellectual amongst us were incapable of separating the idea that one's neural functions under one environment could exist wholly apart from the method in which a physical vessel is utilized under different conditions, and that being professional had to extend almost slowly to repress females in the workforce, whether it be criticism on the premise of dress code, extracurricular activities, or just natural sex appeal, as if it was our fault that you were socially awkward and uncomfortable around a strong female you were physically attracted to. If you get a boner, I don't care. I know I turn you on. Deal with it. Suck it up. Think of dead babies. I don't care probably a bad joke to make with all my references to republicans whatever i'm going with it anyways i started connecting the realms of my life that existed in my youth as distinctly separate yet sharing larger themes why could i compete in a spandex leotard running as hard as i could as springboard muscles clenched as i twisted turned and flew through the air and have a framed high definition copy hung in my foyer yet was apparently also supposed to be embarrassed if a photo i sent some random dude of the side of my body cleverly hidden by a towel with implications of how i wanted him to impale me got out okay congrats it's hot as fuck why are we even talking about this enjoy the show i'm over 18 i'm allowed to have sex i was having sex before i was even 18 I have more important things to concern myself with. The fact that I wouldn't personally care about the likelihood of that happening, yet if it were to, it would consume a considerable amount of time and I would have to address it. It would impact my career and could even be used to punish me. And even with being confident in myself, just the possibility of that happening contributes to the chronic stress in the background of my life. That's ludicrous to me there's no difference in how my body's viewed or in what capacity it is being admired by society whether it be sports education art or sexually i should not have to sit here and make it a topic as if it's up for discussion how i should use it i should not have to live with the knowledge that it has been exploited likely just as much if not more times than it is loved I shouldn't have to worry about how it may be distracting to those paying me to use the brain that it houses. I should be able to freely debut it as artistically as I wish while also being able to function as a woman with something more to offer society without that being particularly risque. But I do. So, you know, circling back to Ghislaine, with each passing year and each increase in freedom, my knowledge is reinforced that the way I was raised and the way I previously viewed my body and sexuality was not normal. Each shuddering resignation of the Athlete A documentary, particularly with the voiceover of Carrie Strug breaking her ankle to win gold at the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, acknowledging that there is a line between tough coaching and child abuse, brings me flashes of breaking my own foot in three places on the first day of a horse competition, only to be told I was probably exaggerating and being made to walk on it for three more days. A real show-must-go-on mentality. What would my grandfather have done in World War II if he had broken his foot, after all? Then comes the struggle every true crime addict knows. 
when they realized just how close they came to being success susceptible to the very crimes they're fascinated with. So when the topic turns to the realization of the plausibility that someone within my own family may have had knowledge of or access to these pedophilic rings splashed across the front page of every newspaper, pedophilia being one of the dark threats to national security, these aren't just statistics like also being a woman running along on a bike path on a random afternoon. These are instead overlapping themes of jet setting around the world, a myriad of politics, militant, finances, power, the places and circuits and lifestyle of stuff you are just discovering that could very easily have been taking place around your naive self. Your entire life becomes overwhelming. You weren't shielded from anything. You were just hidden from reality. And it wasn't sustainable. Suddenly, the therapist office visits the recurrent nightmares since I was little, the seeming insanity and memories of sleeping over the Pentagon just for fun, driving in gators around the corridors after literally being smuggled through security pre-9-11, being introduced to my father's bosses, all of the memories I was now struggling with in the identity crisis that is trying to find your place in the world in your late 20s became that much more suspicious when I opened the Pandora's box that is why do I struggle so much with my sexual identity as a self-reflective, more than modestly confident, traditionally heteronormative woman? Given that I have adapted a policy in recent years of refusing to have any version of relationship with my biological father any longer, coupled with a butterfly effect of gradual disdain starting in middle school and the aforementioned technology boom from the first part of you know this series... Is it really my fault that the timeline becomes suspicious when I revisit old memories? Am I truly to blame for questioning the nature of my reality? Wouldn't this have been inevitable at some point? Careful, logical analysis, the thing I'm rewarded in doing within every other facet of my life these days is what I've been told was a good thing. Flipping through my family's old photo albums, I'm reliant solely on my own experience to quantify the glimpses of visuals that replay across the blackened screen of my forehead as my eyes flicker across the black and white copies lying on the bed in front of me. Revisiting how I perceived those events at the time and the subsequent method in which they shaped my life now, how they still contribute to some illogical sense of guilt well into my adult life, has since come under extensive scrutiny. Would I even trust anyone else's firsthand account of these events if I were to get them? Particularly with my family's history of the method at which they handle things and the light in which they shrug things off, my mother still reveals little tidbits of reality she hid from me, thinking she was doing me some insane type of favor. She recently admitted she knew my high school boyfriend was insane and was just worried he was going to try to kill me if she actually kept him out of our house. I tried to break up with the kid dozens of times, but she taught at the high school he went to and would always talk about how sorry he was and how she viewed him as her son. I had to live years of my life in fear that got increasingly worse and worse because my mom knew how insane this kid was and decided to keep postponing the issue until I could move away for college versus holding him accountable in any kind of legal or even parental aspect. Sounds very similar to how the USA likes to handle our problems, so I'm not sure I can blame her. 
Suddenly, the naivety of my childhood began to peel away with every investigation. My entire life, I had been suffocated under activity after activity because I genuinely love to be busy. But what is that necessity for busyness routed in? As of late, I opt for the comfort of others in the solitude of the natural landscape. So why am I still so anxious? Why do I feel the pressure of living up to the sacrifices of overcoming something? To date, I've overcome a lot more than just the eluded familial dynamics. Um, An F5 tornado that decimated my hometown into a war zone, being held up at gunpoint, being threatened with a gun on a separate occasion, having to seek out two restraining orders in my life so far and walk into that courtroom by myself to hold the person who sexually assaulted me and harassed me in my apartment complex and the one who threatened me with a gun accountable. A long familial history of alcoholics, a family that didn't talk about it because of our complex, deep military background, a local sniper threat and mass shooting drills in elementary schools, numerous suicides and tragic deaths across each of my different friend groups between grades 7 to 10, so I went to roughly eight funerals over a two-year span in my adolescence. Within the last month of quarantine here, I've, you know had two people that I used to be very close to who have also committed suicide. So something to be said about that. My biological father withdrew himself um, and mentally abandoned our family simultaneously, watching the way he talked to everyone else through the the exact opposite of rose-colored glasses because I saw his true nature at home. The stark contrast between caring about things when they were under a spotlight and having any actual empathy towards your own family in the shadows. And the list continues growing because these are the realities of life. So I've overcome my stubborn resolution to never be a different person to the world and back at home for this reason. Instead, I methodically present an array of layers. Um... Donkey, any Shrek fans here, uh, who am I kidding, who isn't a Shrek fan, can laugh, but much like an onion, I present my strictest, most utilitarian self to the world upon first meeting. The grittiest layer, harsh, covered in a little bit of dirt. After all, it doesn't hurt anyone, remember? With time and effort, though, you get lucky enough to see the inner gooiness that's inside. Um, The guarded, beautiful light that's strategically is kept hidden from the world, the Evan star of my soul, expressed in the activities I invest my time in, the talents I cultivate. Surely and slowly you come to realize the softness behind those layers, and not just a mildly appealing softness, but like a soul so all-encompassing, flooding warmth into every crevice around it that it's met with a fear in the world because of the strangeness of its warmth characterized as like a raging fire of destruction instead of a wave of uplifting magic, the perspective is disruptive and misconstrued as anger to those who can't grasp it. And what then is the anger being misconstrued from? The truth is that all of those events that I've overcome, every visual horror carefully preserved in the archives of my photographic mind are ever present, available at my whim to be revisited rushed to the forefront of my mind following a traumatic car accident involving my tire popping, spinning several meters into a tree line. I watched the history of my life replay as simply as pretty much every movie frame during a death sequence. 
Only when my car finally came to rest against the sixth or seventh tree, I hadn't died. And so not even two years later, I finally have the time and the ability in the form of a salaried summer vacation, actually, for the first time in my life to actually just exist in comfort, not worrying about where my next rent check is coming from, not spending the majority of my time doing monotonous task after monotonous task for a minuscule fraction of the money under the guise of higher education, compromising my finances at the risk of freedom, not being forced to to work to live, finally being able to and having the opportunity to revisit what talents, goals, and desires out of the many, many that I've accumulated are actually mine. And such a seemingly simple task, if only it wasn't shrouded with the dread of confronting years of repressed memories. And then confronting and struggling with the fact that I have still managed to flourish in a world that was not necessarily created for me, but certainly allows me more privileges than most, only to coexist across the multiple realms with no way to explain how each aspect of you is a great deal larger than the individual sum of its parts. And it's a struggle learning to balance needing to recognize and disclose the oppression when your entire life you're own opinion has only been meaningful in the most superficial sense. In any serious context, your voice, knowledge, demeanor was always meant to be silent unless spoken to outside of a purely academic context. You've always had to justify your actions. People never take your extensive, meticulously cultivated education as fact. They'll Google it themselves to make sure and then only acknowledge it with a tone of surprise that you were right. Taking back your voice, however, insane or complicated or delicate those thoughts may be, is important for healing. 